Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, we welcome as a special guest our senior pastor, Dr. Charles Redmond, as he shares a message titled, Dual Citizenship. You know, as I thought about the scripture we're going to be looking this morning, the fact of the matter is the United States allows dual citizenship. Now, what that means very simply is this. It means that you can be a citizen of the United States, which most of us are, but you can also be a citizen of another country. That's dual citizenship. Of course, many of, many of us have a passport. I brought mine this morning. I showed it to John a moment ago. He said, where in the world are you going? I said, I said well, I'm going to preach a sermon. That's where I'm going. But here's my passport. Of course, when we go to another country, you know, you, you're going to have to show the passport to get in. And then when we come back, we land out here at Intercontinental Airport. And, uh, you know, you've got to go through the procedure. And they're going to take your passport. And they're going to look at it and, and stamp it and hand it back to you and say, welcome home, that type of thing. Now, you know, as I thought about that and thought about what we're going to be talking about this morning, the fact of the matter is, uh, and, and many of you, Many of you, whether you have a passport or not, doesn't matter. If you've been born in the United States of America or any of our territories, you are a citizen of the United States. And so I'm assuming most all the people today are citizens of the United States. There'll be some hearing me preach today that are from other countries and they've never yet become a citizen of the United States. They live here. Okay. But hopefully we're going to realize today that if we say, well, I'm just a citizen of one country, I hope today when we leave, everybody would say, no, I am a citizen of two countries. And you say, well, where is this other country? Well, the other is our heavenly citizenship. And the Bible talks about it. Look with me in Philippians chapter number three. I want you to look down with me, beginning with verse number uh, 17. Paul's writing this church in Philippi. He founded the church. And this church, in fact, it's the only church mentioned in the Bible that supported Paul financially once he left the church. He left there and went to Thessalonica, and then he made his journey on finally down to Ephesus. But long after he left the church, they loved Paul, and they sent him aid, and he wrote them a letter back to thank them for that, and that letter is what we have as the book of Philippians. Now, in Philippians chapter number 3, Beginning with verse number 17, he has some very interesting things to say about this heavenly citizenship. Now, let's just look in verse 17. He said, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk. He said, pay attention to those who are the same kind of example to you as you have us for a pattern. Now, you know, it sounds like kind of a bold thing, almost like a bragging thing, not at all. You know, the Apostle Paul thoroughly understood his imperfections. You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am what? Chief. He said he was the chief sinner. 
Back in the book of Romans in chapter 7, you know, Paul said, you know, what I don't want to do or what I don't will to do, that's what I do. And what I will not to do, that is what I do. And then he went on to say, oh, wretched man that I am. So the apostle Paul understood he was like all humankind, imperfect. But what he's saying here is, he's saying, look, I want you to follow my example. Now, remember In his letter to the Corinthians, he said, you follow my example as I follow the example of the Lord Jesus. So Paul had the thing all put together. But what he's saying to these believers is, he said, look, I like all of you and like every other human being is imperfect, but he is saying, look, what you need to do is find the least of the imperfect people. See, we're all imperfect, but some people are less imperfect than others. And so Apostle Paul is saying, what you want to do is look at our life and let it be an example and let it be a pattern for you to follow. He went on to say, for many, he's talking about others. He said, many others of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, there are those whose conduct shows that they actually are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, by that, uh, he, he doesn't mean that, they, that this group opposed Christ or that they denied his work on the cross or that they denied that salvation was by faith in Christ alone. No, he, th- this little phrase, enemies of the cross of Christ, refers to those that, that, that they live their life in such a way that they did not pursue Christ's likeness. You know, when you think about that, and I've been thinking about that much this week, I fear sometimes, I can't speak for you, but sometimes I speak for myself. I, I fear I may fall into that category. That is, it's so easy to live your life not pursuing Christ's likeness. And He calls this whole group the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says more about them. He says in verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That has nothing to do with gluttony. He's talking about fleshly desires, sensuality, uh, lust for things of the flesh, whose glory is in their own shame, who set their mind on earthly things. That is, they just think about only life here on earth. Now, sometimes we all probably bend a little bit more that way than we should. But there are many people, even those who profess to be Christ, who actually, as you look at their life, It's all about things here on this earth. It's like this life. And all that, he says, these don't maybe realize it, but they are living their life as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, in verse 20, he shifts back to himself and to those that he considers in this group. Obviously talking about Timothy. Obviously talking about Epaphroditus and others that the church at Philippi would know who they were that were good examples and good patterns. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a Bible underline, you ought to underline that one. 
our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Won't you be glad to get a new body? Could I have an amen to that? (laughs) Oh, my gracious. I read that verse. That'd be a good sermon. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. But that little phrase in verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So I'm saying to you today, you, a citizen of the United States, a citizen of another country. Now, every country, by the way, does not allow dual citizenship. But many do. But it's a must. It's a must for eternity's sake that you say, I know I have heavenly citizenship. Now let's think about citizenship for a moment. Big picture. Citizenship has privileges. And citizenship has responsibilities. That's true as American citizens. There are privileges for American citizenship. But at the very same time, there are responsibilities for American citizenship. Same is true of heavenly citizenship. We're going to develop that a little bit this morning. I want us to think about, first of all, I want us to think about the privileges of heavenly citizenship. And the very first one is this, and we'll look at a couple of different verses in the Bible, but heavenly citizens, and I pray you are one. If you're not, are not sure in a moment, a few, you'll have an opportunity to settle that. But heavenly citizens, final and eternal home is heaven. And I wish you'd just jot that down. Your final and eternal home is heaven. Now, turn back in the gospel of John in chapter 14. And I thought about just quoting the verses. You and I know these verses by memory. Probably all of us do. But you, I want you to see it. In John chapter 14, look with me in verse 2. Jesus said, my father's house are many mansions. Who are not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So heavenly citizens, our final and eternal home is heaven. And that's quite a privilege. Could I have an amen to that? You know, this morning early, I was thinking about this point of my sermon this morning about, you know, heavenly citizens, your final and eternal home is heaven. And I got thinking this morning, how many homes have I lived in since I was born? Well, I counted them up, and I did it twice, and I don't think I missed a one, including where we live right now. From the time, the moment I was born, brought home from the hospital, I've had 15 earthly homes, 15. I thought about that. You know, that's interesting. I've had 15 earthly homes, but here's the deal. The best is going to be the last. Amen. Heaven. For a citizen of heaven, our final, not earthly, but eternal home is in heaven. I'm saying to you today, folks, one day we're going to heaven. 
And we're going to be there forever and for always. We're going to be in our new glorified bodies. And it is going to be the blessing of all blessings. Now, second privilege. Second privilege. Look back with me in Luke chapter 10. We'll just look at a verse quickly. Oh, this is so, this is, this is wonderful. A heavenly citizens' names are registered in heaven. Man, I think about that. My name's already in the book of life. Hopefully your name's in the book of life. You know that. And one day you're going to be in your heavenly, eternal home. And when you get there, your name's already registered. In Luke chapter number 10, Jesus had sent out 70. And they had done some miraculous things. And if you look down about verse 17, it says, Then the 70 returned with joy. Oh, they were so excited. They said, Lord... It's just unbelievable what we've been able to do out there. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Look down verse 19. Jesus said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But now look in verse 20. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, in what? That the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Could I have an amen to that? (laughs) To think that in heaven, in the book of life, is your name, is my name. Oh, what a blessed, wonderful thing. And that is a privilege of heavenly citizenship. And we don't think much about it. I mean, it kind of goes in, out. Listen, this is big time good news. And then number three, heavenly citizens have an inheritance reserved in heaven. Heavenly citizens. If you have heavenly citizenship, you know what? You have an inheritance reserved in heaven. Now, turn with me over in the book of 1 Peter, where we'll be the remainder of our little time this morning. In the book of 1 Peter. It's very, very interesting. In fact, you'll see that in chapter 1, verse 4. I'll just show it to you and we'll move on. But in verse 4, he talks about our inheritance. And he says, it is an inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, you can spend your inheritance. You You can go through money in a hurry. But this inheritance that we're going to receive when we get in heaven that's reserved for us, it's incorruptible. Like it's imperishable. That's what the word really means. And uh, it's not going anywhere. It's not going to fade away. It is eternal as is everything in heaven. Now, if you turn over in chapter number 3, 1 Peter chapter number 3, Beginning with verse 13 all the way through verse 17, you have some responsibilities of heavenly citizenship. Now, in the little time we have, we will focus only on those mentioned in verse 15. I wish we had more time, but we don't. But we're going to zero in on verse 15. Now, the privileges, thank God for the privileges, but these are the responsibilities. I have as a heavenly citizen, you have as a heavenly citizen, some responsibilities. And you say, well, pastor, what are they? Well, (laughs) first of all, area by area, Jesus becomes the master of your life. That's a responsibility. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Well, it means when I die, I'm going to heaven. Well, that's true. (laughs) But 
on the journey. How's it to be? What's my responsibility on my way to heaven? What's your responsibility on your way to heaven? Here's what it is. Area by area that Jesus become the master of your life. Now look in verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now we'll stop right there. That little word sanctify just just means to set apart. That's what it means in the Bible, to set apart. You set apart. And then it says set apart who? The Lord God. Now, this word Lord come, you know, in the Bible, God gives different, he gives himself different names. Each of these names, God is saying, here's a quality of my life. Here's a character of my life that I give myself this name. Okay. Now, when you see the word L-O-R-D, and, and the L is uppercase, and the remaining letters are lowercase. It comes from the word Adonai, and it means master. It means master. So what he's saying is here, you set apart the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, he literally is to be your master. If we translated that literally, it would say this, set apart in your heart Christ as master, as Lord. So here's the responsibility. Jesus is to be the master of your life. Well, you see, we trust Jesus as Savior, but we have to live for Jesus, realizing he's the master. Often we kind of become our own master or something else becomes the master or someone else becomes a master. No, no, set apart in your heart Christ as the master of your life. It is a responsibility. And then a second responsibility is live your life so that people will ask you about the hope that they see in you. Live your life in such a way as people see you journey through the challenges that you journey through in life And they say, you know, we've all seen people go through things and we say, wow, how do they do do that? My, what they're going through is just just beyond understanding. And yet they seem to have a peace about them. They seem to have a faith about them. They, they, They don't throw up their hands and give up. Well, that's, look at what this verse says. You set the Lord God in in your hearts as master, but be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. You know, some people, when they go through really challenging things in life, they just kind of throw in the towel. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's the human of us, and sometimes we Maybe all do that to some degree, but then, then you say, wait a minute here. <laughs> I, I have something that's going to pick me back up again. Paul Harvey, you say, you know, when you fall down, get up. Well, that's, so, that's how it is in the Christian life. But be ready to give an answer to how you're doing this kind of thing. Now, this word hope, you may want to mark it in your Bible. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Hope to you and to me means like, like we hope so. It's like wishful thinking. 
I hope this is going to happen. Well, we, we, what do we say? Well, I wish it would. I'm going to pull for it. I'm going to cheer for it. But this word hope in our Bible comes from a Greek word that, that just literally means, it means rock solid assurance. God's grace is sufficient. If you believe that, say amen. You and I have rock solid assurance that every promise of God is yes in Jesus. All right? So we're out here in life, and life can be very challenging. It really can. People go through some real just, I'll just use the word challenges would be the understatement. But what they need to remember They have every promise of God as a rock-solid assurance, and that's what scriptural hope is. Human hope is wishful thinking. Spiritual hope is saying, I have in me rock-solid assurance that every promise of God is going to be true in my life. I may not see it at the moment. I don't know how it's going to happen, But I have a God that sees it. I have a God that knows how it's going to happen. And I have a God who's going to make it happen. And that is a glorious thing. Now, one other little thing, another responsibility. When you have that rock-solid assurance living in you, translated into that English word as hope, and you give a defense, someone says, hey, how how do you handle what you're going through as well as you're handling it? (laughs) Look what it says here. This is a big responsibility. You answer them with meekness and fear. I've used different words. Actually, a better translation would be with gentle and respectful. Explain the hope that you have in a gentle and respectful way. That's that's how you, not like, well, I'm just strong. No, 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 no. (laughs) None of us are, listen, we're strong when nothing's wrong. Could I have an amen to that? But you let the sky fall. You get the bad medical report. You get the doom and gloom. And you'll find out. You know, I've said so many times, the big lesson that I learned going through what Dottie went through with her lymphoma and chemotherapy. Through that whole journey, what did I learn? Well, I learned much, but here's my big lesson. I learned more about me and more about God than I'd ever known in my life. I learned more about myself and more about God than all my formal education put together. It didn't matter about Greek words, Hebrew words, Greek verbs. (laughs) No, it just got to be a matter about the hope that we have that's rock solid assurance. God's gonna show up every time. Well, but you explain that in gentleness, in, in meekness, patience, and humility. That, that's the whole idea in a very special way. Do you have the dual citizenship that Dr. Rebin has been speaking about? Are you sure that your citizenship in heaven has been secured? If you'd like to make 100% sure, you can pray with me now. Wherever you are, just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. 
I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.